Has anybody put up Christmas lights yet? Anybody? Okay. Fair amount of hands. I like that. You know, the big rage this year as we're getting into the, the new series that we're starting today, but the, 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 new, the new rage are those little Christmas light spotlights. Has anybody seen those? I think they're called stargazers or things like that. Anybody get one? Because I did. Oh, you know I did. I got one before even Black Friday hit. And you, you know what I'm talking about. In your attempt to save possibly having to put up Christmas lights, you put up this little spotlight with lights. It's... It, is it tacky? Yes, it is. It's completely tacky. It's like, and you know who you are when you put those giant inflatable things in your front yard? You know who you are, like the giant Snoopy, uh, the Christmas Snoopy. It's, kinda, it's a little tacky like that, but is it amazing? Yes. Yes, in fact, it is. Because I was not on a ladder hanging Christmas lights, and my home is freshly aglow with moving lights literally all over the front of the house. It's amazing. And so Amy was at work setting up the Christmas decor. We had family come in from out of town, which was awesome. The Christmas tree is up. It is decorated. All the little Christmas signs and things are out. And I was work, because I saved so much time on the front, I was able to work on some things in the backyard. Kellen, can you show them what I, what I was able to do? Really, is amazing. I, there was another one, too, that I, that I was able to whip together. Uh, keep going. It was really, oh, that's actually not the one I was looking for. But I do find that to be amazing, that somebody took the time, some crotchety guy t- took the time to get on a ladder and in Christmas lights to say the word, meh. That guy gets a trophy for me. I think that is absolutely amazing. Guys, Merry Christmas and Happy Thanksgiving and everything in between. Hope you had a great time. I know the holidays can be difficult for some people. Um, Even though it's not difficult for me, my father passed away the day after Thanksgiving more than 10 years ago. And and thankfully, it's it's not a difficult time for me, but I know for many it can be. And so I don't take that lightly as we begin this series that we're in called Heaven to Earth. And uh, we're going to jump in this morning. Sound good? Father, be with us. I'm asking that you'd speak to us today. God, that you would help our hearts to truly be open to, to what it really means to celebrate Christmas. God, that we wouldn't get lost in all of the noise of this season, but that our eyes would really be fixed on you. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's something about Christmas lights that all the joking that I'm making with spotlights and humbug words on roofs and all all that fun stuff, the reality is Christmas lights do something for us. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but there is something beautiful, isn't it, about Christmas lights? It's nighttime. It's dark. It's generally getting colder around this time of year. It feels like it gets 
midnight dark at 2 p.m. nowadays. And so, you know, you go outside, it's pitch black, and now you get to turn on these Christmas lights, and it just brings something fresh. It brings something beautiful to the picture, to the equation. And in many ways, what, what Christmas lights are doing that, that I think captures a little microcosm of something in our heart is we, we, we are, we're looking for something to, to, to find beauty in. We love that. We have our Christmas music that we pray, play all the time around Christmas holidays. Some people play it year-round. Um, I know some of you do. Don't, don't even try to hide it. There's hands raised in the back. But here's the deal. The reminder of the little things, the simple things that are beautiful. And the true heart of Christmas, it's obviously not a story about little twinkling lights on roofs and houses. But one of the things that I want to talk to us about today that's going to set the stage for the rest of this series is Jesus as the light of the world. And oftentimes in the, in the noise of Christmas, we miss the, the real heartbeat behind what Christmas is about. And so that's what we're going to get to today. And in the weeks to come, we're going to begin to flesh out how you can apply what it means for Jesus to have left heaven, stepped into earth, and what that means for your family what it means for your job, what it means for your marriage and your parenting, what it means for your life. Because the message of Christmas has massive bearing on how you live your life. So do this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It's one of the more famous passages in the Old Testament that points to the birth of Jesus. And we're going to read it together today. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or if you've got an actual paper Bible, God bless you. That's amazing. Uh, I hear a few pages turning. I love that. Or you can, you can follow along on your app. Isaiah 9-2. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is born, led by the Holy Spirit, writes that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I love that. Now, I mentioned before that we have family in town. And when you have family in town, you do things that you don't normally do. You know, you've got kids that are sleeping all over the place. When you have as many kids as we have, and then, and then you, you bring more kids in the equation, you've got, you've got mats laid out, basically little pallets where people are sleeping, cots, people are swapping around in bunk beds. Amy and I aren't even sleeping in our bedroom right now. We're in the bedroom with our youngest, Beckett. And, and so everything kind of gets mixed up and turned around to accommodate more people in your home. That's usual. People do that all the time. But I got thinking because I've had... I've had had to get up several times in the middle of the night. And I'm sleeping in a room that I don't normally sleep in. And it is dark. Like super dark. And sometimes there's kids that have either snuck in, or maybe Amy did this and I didn't even know there's somebody sleeping on the floor. And so you do, and I do, what everybody does when you are trying to navigate in the dark. What do you do? You do one of these numbers, especially if your eyes have not adjusted yet to the dark. 
You know what I mean? You're taking little tippy toes, you know, steps, and you got your hand out. And sometimes, I don't know how it's possible, but we still miss the mark. And we still manage to run into things. Or you step on a child. And you, true story. And you're doing everything you can because your baby is asleep in the closet in a pack and play. You're thinking, God, please, if you're really real, do not let this baby wake up. I beg of you. You're moving slowly and small, and you're trying to take careful steps because trying to get by in the dark, it's really tough. And you can obviously make the the progression where I'm heading here, spiritually speaking, but if it's that difficult to just walk out into the hallway of a bedroom when it's dark, how difficult is it for you to truly live in spiritual darkness? You can't see. You don't know what decision to make. You don't know up from down. You don't know where God is. You don't know why this is happening. These are questions that people have, and they have all the time. Why, is my, why, is my, why do I have no job? Why is my business failing? Why is my marriage so strained and so difficult? God, I thought it was supposed to be this way, but I feel like I'm stuck in darkness, trying to sort out how to just get to the hallway. I was in line at Target yesterday. And I'm going to give you a free bit of advice. You should always be nice to your mobile rep at Target. Because that line was hours and hours long. She let me go right to the front. It was awesome. It's nothing to do with the message. Here's the deal. While I was waiting in line, this was in the morning. This is just this is just Saturday at like what 8 a.m. In the course of about 10 minutes, I heard the person right behind me. We were all talking. Somebody was gripped with fear over insurance. Somebody was gripped with, with fear over their inability to pay their bills. I'm not sure how they were getting a new phone, but but regardless, this is, what we were, this is what we were talking about. While I was standing there, I got a text message of somebody that's in the hospital fighting for their life. I heard somebody else talking about the, the strain of raising their children and the difficulty and not knowing what to do. There was another guy that came up that was begging people in line to let go of the phone that they were trying to buy so that he could get it for his daughter for her birthday. I mean, one after the other situation where people were in strain, where people were in stress, where people didn't know what to do. And you could say in many ways that there is a a shadow of darkness, a weight that people were carrying as they're trying to live their life. This is just in the small, minute situations that, that each person is facing day in and day out. People have money problems. People have credit problems. People have marriage problems, parenting problems. People just have health problems. They're trying to get by.
We're talking about a world that's broken. A world that doesn't function the way the creator intended his creation to work. Now, we haven't even talked about sin yet. But understand that God has not designed you and I to walk in fear, to carry fear. He hasn't designed you and I to walk and carry stress. He hasn't designed you and I to walk and carry anxiety. He, hasn't des- he didn't design the world to begin with for you to be full of pain and heartache. Those are not the things that God breathed into existence when he breathed light out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second. That's not what he ordained and created, and yet many of us are living in situations that feel dark, and many of us flat out, might I say. Not only is the situation dark, but the soul might actually be dark. And that you've never heard the gospel, and you've never heard of Jesus Christ, and you don't know who the light of the world is. Jesus is being prophesied about by the, by the prophet Isaiah, and he is writing that, that the, the darkness over the land, that a light has come. A light has come to fill that bedroom, so to speak, so that you're not walking in darkness anymore. But we have to ask ourselves first, why were they in darkness to begin with? Why are you and I stuck in situations that are dark? Obviously, the world is broken, but there are also times where we willfully are turning off the light switch. You know what I mean. And so here we have Israel. In the Old Testament, they have made a conscious decision to turn from God. They made a conscious decision to move away from him. And now that their life is hard and difficult, they're beginning to ask where God is and they're beginning to pray, God, where are you? And they're beginning to seek him and beseech him, but they're not hearing him. They don't feel him. They don't know where he is. And this is what the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 8. Before we got to the part where the light has come to impact that darkness, it says in Isaiah 8, 21, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness I want to tell you something this morning. We need Jesus to bring light to the darkness of our soul. And we need Jesus to bring light to the darkness of our situations. And this feels like a heavy message to start Christmas off. Merry Christmas, everyone. But understand, if we don't understand the context of why Jesus Christ left heaven and entered earth, then Christmas isn't Christmas. And Easter isn't Easter. Are you tracking with me this morning? The reason Jesus left heaven 
and he left heaven for you and for me and for humanity is because we collectively are walking in darkness and we don't see. And the interesting thing about these people, guess how they felt? They were stressed. They were not satisfied. They were roaming around aimlessly, no purpose, no direction. They felt famished. They were angry. They were looking upward. They were cursing their government, and they were cursing their God. And they began to look toward the earth for answers. Meaning, it's so dark in here, I bet I can do something to alleviate the darkness myself. I can sort this out myself, and I can bring some light to the equation here. I'm going to look to the earth. Because surely in my strength, surely in my ability, surely in my talent and my resources and the people that I know, I can bring some light to this situation. And it didn't quite work out. But we do the same thing, don't we? I know I do. I don't like that. I'll be really honest with you. I hate that sometimes, even as a pastor, people just think that, that pastors have halos. You know, like my first natural instinct must always be to pray, must always be to read my Bible and be spiritual. And guess what? That's not actually the case. My first instincts are like your instincts, and I have to fight those to seek God. Found this really interesting that uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. I know that I've joked that the Hubble Space Telescope was my first pair of glasses because they were so big, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. The Hubble Space Telescope. They put together, this was like 30 years ago, I forget when it actually came out, 20, 30 years ago. They put together a team of experts to build the most expensive mirror in the world for this telescope. The mirror was the key to focusing light, capturing images that had never been seen by the human eyes. The precision was measured in millionths of an inch. Break that down for you. An inch is about this big. And they're breaking this little thing into millions of little measurable pieces. And so they said it, it, to understand it in a way that we would be able to grasp it, if they, were, if they were creating the surface of the Atlantic Ocean, the waves would be three inches high. And that's how smooth this surface was. When they, when they measured it into the millionths of an inch to get this mirror perfectly smooth and perfectly to get the image, basically what they would be doing is they'd be taking a surface the size of the Atlantic Ocean, and basically the wave of that ocean would be so smooth that it would only be three inches high. I still don't quite even grasp what that actually means, but hey, it's a, it's a great analogy, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. It's smarter than me, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna hang in there with it. Thanks, bro. The mirror happened to be after they built it in 1990. They took their first pictures with it, 
and the images came back completely blurry after they'd spent millions and millions of dollars on it. The, work, the telescope was only able to do about half of the work that it was launched to do. And so they had to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to remedy it. And when they sorted out why this happened, they had put together a team of experts, and then they had gotten an outside expert to lead the team. This guy was the... <laughs> I don't even know what his scientific job was, but in terms of creating an image, a mirror, this was the guy that you'd want doing it. But the team of experts that were in charge of building the space telescope didn't want the outside expert telling them what to do. And so when he would try to come in to even check on their progress or to give them insight, they would lock the door and turn the music up really high. <laughs> these are like NASA. These are, these are smart people, okay? And this is what they're doing. Why? Because the pain, the strain of having somebody that you may not necessarily trust step into your situation, and begin to just adjust the dial, even just slightly, it hurts. It's difficult. And so they began to do a study off of this. And it says that when top executives reach out, they often go to the wrong sources. In the study, CEOs reported that where they went for strategic advice, the worse their companies were doing, the more likely CEOs were to seek out advice from people who shared their same perspectives. Friends and colleagues with the same experience and the same expertise. And we know that successful companies and the more successful CEOs seek out advice from people who have been there and done that, from people who have expertise, from people who know what they're doing. Now, if you're thinking that I'm talking about discipleship here, I'm not. That's not where I'm going at all this morning. What I'm trying to drive home is that for many of us, when we find ourselves stuck in darkness, rather than lifting our eyes to the heavens and looking to God and pursuing God and praying to God, what we actually do is find other people who are living in the same darkness as us, and we get the same advice and the same counsel all over again, and we just stay stuck in the exact same place because it feels a lot better to have a shared experience with somebody in a pit than to have somebody help you and draw you out. And when Jesus came to be the light of the world, he's asking for all eyes, for all hearts to be anchored on him. That means I'm not looking to this person's experience to invalidate or validate where I'm at. I'm looking to God. I'm not looking to my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking anywhere else, not my job, not my money, not my children. I'm looking to God. Christmas is about people that are walking in darkness. 
beginning to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isaiah 9, 2, it says, we've already read it, that the people, I'll say it again, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Christmas is about the dawning of a new day. That is the heart of Christmas. The night is over. The new day has come. If you are stuck, if it's dark outside, guess what? Christmas is a reminder that you and I serve Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That you and I have been called into his marvelous light. And even if there are times where you don't know, where you don't understand, or things still feel and look dark, guess what? Your hope can still be in Jesus Christ. There are situations that still have darkness that still have confusion. There are situations, there are moments where you're still not making the right decision before God. That's reality. That's life. But you can still find yourself looking and trusting and hoping that this shadow over your heart is eventually going to turn into the light of day. There was a game in, I think it was like 1987, for the original Nintendo, called Castlevania. You played this character and you like fought vampires and stuff. It was amazing. I know not all of you, most of you have never even played the original Nintendo here and that pains my heart. But there was this moment in this game, I don't know why the words always stuck with me, in Castlevania 2. You're playing this character and it literally is recording the amount of time that you're playing. And you have night and you have day. And when the morning would come and the night was over, these little words would begin to appear on your screen. The morning sun has vanquished the horrible night. And I've never forgotten it. Jesus used a Nintendo to minister to my heart. Amen. Have a great Christmas, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on a, on a very, what might feel ambiguous, and I'm doing it intentionally because we're going to drive it deeper specifically in the weeks to come. You can have darkness because, because of bad decisions, sin in your life. You can be experiencing just the brokenness of a world, and it feels dark outside because of that. You, you can experience darkness for a myriad of different reasons, but it doesn't change the fact that your hope is in Jesus Christ. Your anchor is Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us that there is always hope. And here's where things get real fun. In the prophetic passage that Isaiah wrote, he said that for to us a child is born. 
To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, most of the time when we preach Christmas messages, we talk about all these titles that Jesus is, and it's amazing. But before we get to the wonderful counselor and the everlasting father and the prince of peace, I want you to focus on just a couple little words at the beginning of this sentence that Isaiah says that should bring you and me great hope. Scripture says that for to us... A child is born to us, to you, and to me, a child is born. And I don't mean, and you, you, you're tracking with me here, I'm not saying that Jesus is our little man child this morning, that you can just kind of put in your pocket and carry around as you so choose. No, that's not what I mean. The purpose for which Jesus came and left heaven and entered earth was for you and I. The light of the world came to bring you light, to take you out of darkness. Yes, your soul and also your situations. That you might rest assured in the hope of who he is. To you, a child is born. It's for you that Jesus came. It's for the brokenness in your life that Jesus came. It's for the pain in your heart that Jesus came. It's for your marriage that Jesus came. It's for your children that Jesus came. Jesus came to bring You and I, light. Those who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. That we may declare the praises of him who's called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And that we can say with great declaration that Jesus Christ our Lord our Savior the Prince of Peace the wonderful Counselor mighty Savior He came to show all of these abilities off and all of these strengths off and all of his character off that you and I might know him That's amazing. And when we talk about Christmas, and we talk about the baby in the manger, and when we talk about the, the trip and the inn and all of the things that we associate with Christmas, understand that the foundation of that is that you and I need Jesus. You and I are in darkness. You and I are hopeless without him. You and I don't have the strength to get out of that darkness without him. You and I are stuck. You and I are jammed up. You and I are a train wreck, and we need Jesus Christ. And that is why he left heaven and entered earth. It was for you and me. That's it. That is the hope of Christmas. I love all the other stuff. 
I love the presents. I love the, the pictures. I love the reindeer and all the fun things that we associate with it. But understand, none of that is Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus coming after a people that desperately need him. So here's my question for you that we're going to unpack in the weeks to come as we enter December, is that Jesus, I've said it about a thousand times, he is the light of the world. But the question for you and I to wrestle with in the weeks to come is that, is he, is he the light of your world? Jesus is the light of the world, but is he the light of your world? We can know him here. We can know the information here and still not be transformed by the light of his presence. In your home, your job, in your church, in how you lead, in how you counsel, in how you parent, in how you live your life. And this Christmas... I believe Jesus would have us do something extraordinary and let the light of his piercing presence really bring light to some places in your life and in your heart that desperately need him.